Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Well, hello there. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. How are you? Good. Glad to hear it. Let's go. Today, we are going to have a friendly conversation slash debate uh, on mechanicals, expandables versus fixed broadheads. Kind of a controversial subject. I get it. I think people understand that uh, when it comes to archery, you have to tinker and figure out what's best for you. I personally will probably always be in the camp of shooting a some sort of fixed broadhead when it comes to elk i've had some great success with fixed broadheads and i don't think everything always ends up absolutely perfect in this world that is not perfect and so matt bateman of grim reaper broadheads somebody i've known a long time and he has a resume of being very successful with mechanicals year after year as an archer. He works for Grim Reaper, and I work with Grim Reaper uh, at some level every year. And we just decided to come on and have a friendly discussion. I told him it would be a debate, but uh, we didn't cut each other's throats. We just kind of, uh, we just talked about it. And there's different types of mechanicals out there. There's a couple different categories to consider. We talked about, you know, some of the pros and cons as well as maybe why I don't like Mechanicals Expandables and why he does. And it's cool. It's a very friendly, respectable conversation. And I think there's some great information in here, not only on that, as far as the front end business part of your arrow, but we talk about mountain goats a little bit. We talk about elk hunting. We talk about Utah. We talk about opportunity. Uh, there's just some good nuggets in here. Both of us have elk hunted a long time. And so it's just a cool conversation. I want you guys to get something out of this and, uh, Hopefully, it gives you some food for thought. Today's podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics. These guys are awesome. They're coming out hot this year with their whole new lineup of tripods. A lot of them are carbon, and so they're super light with awesome pan heads. I've been testing them pre, you know, before the launch date. I got all the prototypes and put them through their paces and kind of was using the Outdoorsman tripod, which I like a lot. I really do. That's not a bad option, but... I like these just as much and they're a lot lighter and so if I can save weight, 
So check them out. Um, and then as far as the Vortex wear goes, we do have a discount code. It's Elk Shape. That'll get you 20% off all their hoodies, their tees, their hats, all their gear that's made for workouts, training, as well as lifestyle and scouting. So check them out. Wilderness Athletes got a discount code exclusive for this podcast. So you listeners that haven't tried WA yet, get on it. Mark Paulson's the founder, former strength and conditioning coach uh, at the collegiate level for, I don't know, 30-something years and degrees in dietetics. Uh, this company's legit. It's not a marketing company. Their products are quality. There's not a lot of fillers, not a lot of sweeteners. Uh, everything's real practical, and a lot of it's I use not only during hunting season, but also in the off season when I'm training. Elk Shape 30 will get you 30% off your first purchase. Stowaway Gourmet, not sponsored, but hey, discount code Elk10 will take 10% off their freeze-dried food. Anything with bison or bacon, get it. Trust me out of this world northwest retention systems if you need a gun holster for when you're hunting check out the scout uh, go to their website pick out the one with the elk shape logo on it specifically and you won't have any shipping or handling you don't have to enter a discount code lead time is five days uh, black ovis elk shape will get you 10 percent off some exclusions apply I think they're making a page on their website with all the stuff that I use. So you can kind of see all my gear that they carry. And then you can enter that discount code and just kind of get an idea on what, what I'm rocking. Baku e-bikes, uh, get the mule, get a thousand water, buy an extra battery. And I'm going to save you the cost of an extra battery. Use discount code ElkShape300. And that'll be a game changer for you. NUMA Outdoors, ElkShape20 will get you 20% off. Definitely get their base layers. They have heated base layers as well, if you're into that. I know I use that when I whitetail hunt. And then they also have like the waypoint jacket, pant. The whole setup is legit. Elk Shape 20 will get you 20% off. Check out NUMA. Let me know what you think. That's what I'm using in 2021. Tag Hub for all your tag allocations and research on state to state by Eastman's, obviously the name in itself. They've been in the game the longest. Uh, they are not a sponsor, but they did give us a discount code. So Elk Shape 15 will get you 15% off. And then my baby, the Elk Collective, uh, the discount code is Elk Shape Podcast. That'll knock it $25 off. And we also lowered the price so you can now go, I think it's $89 a year for access to 130-something videos on how to become better at elk hunting and everything in between that. They also have a monthly option, which is just $10 a month if that makes it better for you. So check that out, the Elk Collective. And that's what I got. Let's get into this podcast with Matt Bateman. And we are going to have a friendly conversation. And it gets, does it get heated? You'll have to find out. All right, here we go. Yeah, I got good audio. So uh, today's ATA show virtual, is that what's going on? Yeah, well... Yeah, pre-ATA show stuff, and then uh, like NABA, by group virtual hot show stuff. Um, just trying to do all these shows virtually and filling all these calls and emails from dealers, trying to figure out how to do their orders, that kind of thing. So it's been fun. <laughs> no doubt, brother. And I say that sarcastically. Well, I tell you what, man. We wanted to bring you on and just jump right in because... You're busy, so I'm going to give the listeners a little background on you, and then I want you to fill in what I leave out, which will be a lot, but have I had you on before? Yeah, we did a podcast, um, you and I, oh, here, 
a year or two back. I can't, you know, I, it was kind of in your earlier stages of, of doing your podcast. Um, you and I chatted just about Grim Raper as a company and, and, uh, went over a few things. That's right. Yeah. It's been a while. So I'll post a link to that one for folks who want to go back and listen to Matt's a really accomplished bow hunter. One of the most consistently successful bow hunters that I know and I've known him a long time year in and year out. He's a family man. He lives in Utah. He works for Grim Reaper Broadhead. He wears a lot of hats there. Um, and he gets out and hunts out West and kills a lot of different species year in, year out, has a ton of reps. He's killed a lot, like a pile of animals. And we're going to get in today. The reason why I brought him on is we're going to get right into it is so Matt works for Grim Reaper. I've been using Grim Reapers consistently the last, I think three seasons, possibly. Yeah, this will be going on year number four. And I told Matt and from the beginning, hey man, I'm not going to use expandables, mechanicals. I'm going to be using your fixed line. I really like your Hades. And when I tested them, they were so sharp out of the package. And for the price point and being made in America, which goes a long ways nowadays, especially, I was sold. And I've had really good luck with the Micro Hades 3 blade. I've used the 4 blade a little bit on bears uh, and whitetail, but ultimately, those longer shots, I've used the 3 blade. And Matt here doesn't use a fixed broadhead. He uses expandables, mechanicals. And I'm pretty, like, I've been pretty publicly open about not being a fan of them for several reasons. But we're going to debate, not really debate, but we're going to get his take his reasonings, his best practices, and just dive in. So, sorry, Matt, we're going right for it today. <laughs> hey, yeah, no, no use beating around the bush. So, let's talk about your season 2020. What all did you hunt? What did you kill? What did you use to kill? How far are shots? Let's go through it. Uh, yeah. So, 2020 obviously was just a an interesting year across the board, and and. Uh, a lot of craziness going on in the world. So I kept it pretty low key and, uh, I didn't draw anything real special. Um, had, had a couple tags in Montana, uh, a tag, you know, just a general deer tag here in Utah. Um, I usually go back to the Midwest and hunt whitetail. I mean, that's, that's kind of standard tags I have every year. I, I just didn't plan any big, big faraway trips in 2020, just with everything going on. So, um, had, had, and also my hunting partner, um, my best friend, Kit Fowler, that I do a lot of my archery hunting with, he had drawn a once in a lifetime mountain goat tag. So we, we, uh, you know, we're putting a lot of focus into that. It's, it's a once in a lifetime hunt. It took him 20 years to draw the tag. Um, and we were committed to making it happen with a bow in some of the, the hardest, um, uh, most inaccessible country here in, in Utah, as far as just bow hunting. Um, hiking on the access type stuff. So um, that was a lot of our focus this summer, scouting and, and prepping for that mountain goat hunt. But I had some success myself. Um, had a had a successful trip up to Montana. Um, I go up there every year and and spawn stock antelope. Love doing it on the plains and uh, arrowed in a solid mountain goat. Got up there a little late this year and it was dry. The antelope were all already bunched up early 1st of October and it just made for a lot of ice, but, uh, was able to, to crawl in on a, a group of about 30 antelope and, and, uh, make about a, you know, 65 yard shot on a, a solid buck, um, shot him with the pro engine three eights, which is my, it's a three blade mechanical, which is really my go-to broadhead for everything. 
Um, and then I uh, also took a, a solid whitetail buck up there um, in Montana with the same rodhead, uh, Pro Engine 38, and uh, did a little doe hunting as well. I was there, shot a whitetail doe and a, and a muley doe um, tags that I was allotted up there. Um, shot one of them with the Engine 38 uh, at a whitetail doe at, at 30 yards and a mule deer doe at 40 yards with the mini mag little four blade mechanical so um then i came home ended up going back to illinois just just hunted for big deer out there never uh, connected on on any big bucks shot a, a whitetail doe for for eating purposes love eating my whitetail um with the engine threats and uh and then came home and finished out the season um chasing mule deer here on our late season um hadn't drummed up anything early and, and ended up actually shooting a, a, just a solid muley buck on the last day last minute of our season hiked in several miles last day hurrah by myself got back in the snow um ended up connecting on a solid buck literally at, at last shooting light on the last night of the hunt after a long season so and that was a 62-yard shot with the Pro Engine 38 three-blade mechanical as well. Um, and 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 actually, sorry, skipping back, I shot a big a big chocolate black bear this spring in Utah. I drew a, a coveted archery, well not archery only, but a coveted uh, bear tag in Utah. We got to draw tags. I drew a, a summer tag that allowed me to bait, put a lot of effort into it, and killed a, a big pushing 400 pound chocolate boar um at the uh it was the end of may um here in utah and also shot that bear with the pro engine trace three blade so and then in the mean in, in the middle of the season we got after mountain goats and kip ended up taking a huge billy one of the biggest body 12 year old billies ever taken off the unit in some pretty rough country and he also shot his goat with with the pro engine three three blade mechanical so as you can tell that's my baby that's the broadhead i shoot for most things um but all in all it was an awesome season got out a lot put a lot of miles on hunted hard had a lot of fun um and that's what it's all about man that's really interesting that you like you i know your bear you shot was a giant like i remember seeing when you posted that i knew you were stoked on that tag uh how long did it take you to draw that um so i had that same tag uh oh, what was it nine nine or ten years ago and in utah you got to draw and then you have a, a three-year waiting period before you can even apply for bears again so i did my due diligence waiting um got back in the pool and ended up getting lucky and drawn this tag with uh, six points and the tag generally takes 11 points to draw so after my three-year wait period and six years of applying it was nine nine years since i had the tag before um so and it's really a tag a guy might get in this state every 15 years honestly um and it's not because it's you know it's not because there's giant bears running everywhere it's just because fairly low density of bears compared to the amount of hunters in the state um, we have different seasons here where you can run bears with dogs run bears um, spot stock tags and then this particular tag where you can put bait on the ground and, and do that do all that work and, and hunt them so um, yeah it's a it's a and, and honestly last round I drew the tag I ate tag soup 
um, hunted my butt off, learned a lot of hard lessons of, of bear hunting and, and trying to figure out big bears that go nocturnal and, and all that, and ultimately ended up not killing a bear. So I, I was on a mission this round when I drew that tag to, to uh, do the research, do the homework. I reached out to you. I know you and I talked about it, listened to a podcast you did about bear hunting, um, reached out to everyone I knew, and, and, and just had fun researching it and learning and, and figuring out what my approach was going to be, um, got, got in a nasty spot that was just really hard to access. It was a lot of work to get bait in there. Um, you know, more work than probably most guys would want to do, but I, 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 you know, that was where I thought I could pull a a big bear and get it done. And it it worked out, got lucky and and killed a great big kind of chalk, you know, dream bear for me with my bow, big chocolate bear. Mm, I love it. Bear hunting doesn't get old. So what's the densities like? What's the distribution in Utah? I'm really ignorant when it comes to when I've seen stuff on social, it's always like Doyle Moss running bears with dogs in the desert, killing really cool desert bears. And I, I don't even know the distribution. Explain kind of how it looks in Utah. Yeah. So, I mean, Utah is so diverse. We have, you know, we have big mountains and, and northern part of the state is is aspens and, and pines and, and rugged terrain, the Wasatch Front. Um, we have the Uinta Mountains, which is a big, big expanse of wilderness area and, and pretty inaccessible, which holds a lot of bears, obviously, that kind of country. Um, but the southern part of the state, you know, is is where the, the densities, the populations of you know, the highest densities of bears in the state are. You get down on the San Juan, um, Elk Ridge area, and, and the southern parts of, of Utah, there's a lot of bears. There's a lot more permit spot and stock and, and bear pursuit type permits. Um, but up, up here where I'm located in the central northern part of the state, it's there's bears around a lot of areas and, and you know, solid densities. Nothing like Idaho, um, you know, what you're used to. But but with lower densities and and spread out, I mean, Utah does generate some big bears for a long time. The the world record um, skull, it was a pickup on the Southern Manti unit, was out of Utah, and it just got beat here in the last couple of years. A bear out of the Midwest or East Pennsylvania or something, but for a long time it was like 23 and something. Good lord, on a black on just a black bear. Black bear, yeah, it was a deadhead pickup in southern Utah. Well central southern central utah um but so we we get some some big old pumpkin head bears um you know but to kill a a a bear in the spring that's 400 pounds and and got some age on them and stuff like i did it's it's a lot of work and they're not around every corner but yeah they you know utah's real diverse and and we got some good populations of bears but um it's just kind of spread out throughout the state some areas have none and and southern utah has a lot of bears um kip's mountain goat is that an oil tag or does he just have a waiting period uh that's a once in a lifetime tag in utah so once you draw you're you're done um like i said he 20 years um he's been applying for goats and we uh he he drew a tag in in our backyard the it was fun because it's where we hunt deer him and i have pounded deer in this unit for 20 years um and it's it's 
it's archery only for deer hunting where we were at and uh it's it's rugged terrain and not high goat densities in fact uh, they only give three tags in that unit um and fish and game we talk to the biologists and stuff regularly and and they're worried about the unit worried about the 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 goats on this unit they just haven't been doing that well so this goat he killed was an actually actually a real anomaly to them um one of the the oldest goats they've ever aged off that unit and and uh, in fact they were so so interested in it they came and met up with him and wanted to see it firsthand and get all the info they could out of him so it was pretty cool we he scouted hard he hiked hundreds of miles over the summer honestly and a lot of rough terrain and and i ended up getting lucky and getting eyes on this mountain goat um from about two miles away opening weekend of the deer hunt and it just looked like a, a that next level body size so him and I packed into that drainage the following weekend and got eyes on it firsthand. And it was the goat he'd been looking for all summer. Um, we called him Scar, had a big cool scar down the down his face from something. Um, and uh, just just out outweighed, outsized everything we found by 100 pounds. Um, he's a mountain goat, pushed 400 pounds once we got him on the ground. Just a neat, old, mature goat. And, and once we found him, it was... We were all in on on hunting that particular goat and uh, getting it done with the bow. So really, really a cool, cool hunt and story. I'm happy for Kip. It panned out exactly like he dreamed it up for a once in a lifetime mountain goat hunt. Everything about it just turned out to be everything he dreamed it would be. So super stoked for him, and I'm just stoked to be part of it and be there with him. Mm, I love it. Yeah, the the mountain goat thing archery is super cool. I do want to tell people that getting out there, once you've done some of your research, I think it's pretty easy to decipher between Billy and Nanny once you're out there and you start really combing through the spotter, the body size, the urine stains, the bases, the behavior. It's pretty obvious. I drew the uh, Ogden tag there in 2014 and I went with a bow. And I had a completely different experience. There was the densities were insane. Um, I drew with 11 points, and I think I was the only person bow hunting there on opening day. And there was a lot, I don't know how many, I think there was at least 18 tag holders. So it was just a way different vibe than what you guys went through. I remember realizing real quick there in Utah that everybody that drew had a party with them, like a squad, like a tribe. And so for every tag holder, there was probably an average of five or six individuals with them. Everybody had razors and the access points were really bottlenecked. And so I remember we got there a day and a half early to do scouting. And we basically tried to find the nastiest part in the unit that took the most hiking to get to. And we just hiked there in the dark. We, we walked past many mountain goats to get to that area just so we could bow hunt it and it turned out pretty cool hunt they're an amazing animal they're a little tricky as far as vitals go do you kind of remember where to shoot them just based on your experience and being there with kip um you know i didn't research vitals a lot but but the the tricky part with mountain goats is they have so much you know that big thick fur and there's a lot of a lot of void there so mm -hmm. You'll have to remind me. I didn't. I wasn't the one with the bow, so I didn't study hard on the anatomy of an antelope or a, a, or a mountain goat. But uh, you know, K 
Kip made a great shot on him. If I remember right, you want to put it a little further forward, right? Um, yeah. A little lower yep. third of the body. Yeah. I, the, the best thing you can do is get a 3D target of a mountain goat, which, you know, not everybody has. I have one at the archery range by my house. And so that's, I remember shooting that thing quite a bit and then kind of practicing because it's not, it doesn't, you definitely don't shoot where you think just on first impressions. You really got to have like, know exactly where to shoot on those things. And they're tough. They're really tough animals. Yeah. I was, I couldn't believe how tough he was, even with a great shot. He, uh, you know, great shot and he wasn't going anywhere, but he still climbed up on a ledge. Um, after the shot, even a, a perfect double lung shot, he still managed to climb up onto a ledge and, and luckily didn't fall off, but he was so precarious when we got to him that it took, literally took the two of us six hours to get him taken care of and caped and, and cut up on that ledge because Kip was holding them from falling off while I was, while I was working the knife and it just was a, a big, big bodied goat, neat neat spot but it, it was really a you know a lot of work with where he ended up expiring to, to get him taken care of and get him off that hill safely so kip kind of had to hold on to him and and while i worked on him and tried not to fall off the cliff so i love it i think that's cool well hopefully you draw someday man how many points do you have honestly i am uh stuck in no man's land here in the state on moose uh as residents we can only apply for one that's right once in a lifetime tag so i've been applying for moose for over 20 years made that decision when i was younger and didn't really know in the long run that that was going to be the hardest tag to draw so i've been applying for moose for 20 years and i'm still not in a in a place where i really have a chance of drawing a tag so can't really jump ship at this point got to stick with it hopefully i get lucky and pull a moose tag um and then maybe eyeball on a, you know, they've implemented a couple archery-only mountain goat tags in the state, which have way better odds than than the, any weapon tags just because of the the early season and, and difficult access and, and obviously doing it with the bow. So that would be my what I jump into. But I'm a long ways away from ever getting a goat tag. Yeah, man. Well, as far as Utah is concerned, have you drawn any limited entry elk tags? Um, you know, it's, it's tough, especially for non-residents. Um, but the thing with Utah is there is 50% of the, of the tags are allotted to, um, essentially a lottery. So half of the tags go to the highest point holders and the other half of the tags go to, um, just a, a lottery system. You do get your name in the hat more times if you have more points, but the tags are not guaranteed to the top point holders. So um, the thing I like about that, and I know the odds aren't great for a non-resident, but for me, I pick in Utah because I'd rather hunt elk as often as possible rather than wait my whole lifetime for maybe this premier tag. So in Utah, I, I personally um, apply for the units that have the most tags archery-wise. Our archery hunt's tough. It's early. Um, a lot of people are scared of it just because of the early season dates and it can be a tough hunt. Um, but there's a couple of, you know, you know, the, the Wasatch unit, the Manti unit in the state give lots and lots and lots of archery permits. And so there's usually a pretty large pool of, of permits that just go to a lottery. 
And so I just play the odds. Um, I've drawn two limited entry tags in the state with my bow on those units, one in, on the Manto unit, one on the Wasatch unit. Um, I drew one with three points and one with one point um, and killed killed really solid bulls on both units. It's a tough hunt, but um, so my advice, you know, I mean, you can, you can apply for these, you know, the premier units in the state that, that really you don't have a crack unless you have, you know, max points um, or you can play the odds and, and just throw your name in the hat for one of these units that do give a lot of permits and, and they're more managed for five, four and five year old bulls versus, you know, the, the trophy units that are managed for seven, eight, nine year old bulls, but you still can drum up a really good bull in these units, especially on the archery season. They're just tough to hunt. And if a guy puts in his work and, and hunts hard and puts in a lot of effort, you can, you can generate some opportunity on a good bull. Mm, definitely. So what's your advice for guys listening? We're going to get to broadheads guys. Don't worry. Um, what's your advice for fellow Utah people? So I do a couple elk shape camps around your state this year. I'm actually doing one in your state. I'm hoping you can make that. Um, people ask me all the time, how do you get it done in Utah with such early dates? And so my first question is, is Utah thinking about changing the archery, pu- uh, pushing it back? And then number two, let's go over some tactics tried and true as far as basically ambush hunting and and pattering elk for their still base of their summer range and their summer behavior. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, every year we hear rumors and, and there's a push to, to maybe move the seasons back. Um, but I haven't heard anything or seen anything legit that validates that happening. It's been a long time. It's been pushed for, for a long time. Um, you know, the way Utah's done it is, is the, the archery deer and elk hunt open at the same time. And that's both the general and the limited entry hunts. They open the third Saturday in August period. And then they, they end on the, like the second, second or third Friday in September, second Friday in September. So this year actually is the, the best dates you'll ever get on an archery elk hunt in Utah. It goes clear till the 17th of September, just because of how the calendar dates fall. Oh, dude. Um, and then, it, then it'll roll back every day or one day every year. Last year, it ended on the 11th. So last year was tough, but this year it rolls to where that, that Friday falls on the 17th. So this this is the year, if you're sent on points to burn, you know, in Utah and draw a tag, this year, next year, this year you'll get the 17th. Next year, you get the 16th till the 15th. So that extra four, five, six days, um, I've had the tag when it ended on the 11th or 12th, killed bulls, but as far as them being vocal and, and, and that kind of hunting and that kind of action, it was tough mm. and, and, uh, until the very, very end of the season, last few days. So rolling into, you know, 16th, 17th of September is going to give guys four or five, six extra days, in my opinion, of good vocalization. Um, and, uh, which gives, you know, an out of state or maybe that doesn't have, the ability to come over here and scout all summer and pattern them and try and kill one early on their summer pattern. Um, they kind of rely on coming in and, and being able to hear and, and chase the elk that are talking. And, and that can be tough if they're not talking, right. And you don't know the area and you haven't been able to, to put in all that summer scouting. So even as a resident, um, I've, I've pounded it, pounded it, pounded it. And there's that, you know, you do have that crack early, where they're still bachelored up, even maybe some, some years there's still a few bulls in the velvet. They're still on their summer pattern. And then 
then all of a sudden they they shred it off the velvet off and they go hard horn and they split up and it gets really hard um to relocate them and find them and hunt them and then then they come back out of the woodwork when the rut gets close so man anyone listening that has good good uh, number of points in utah next year or two be a great time to burn them i don't see them changing the dates and and you'll get the best dates you can possibly get in the state over the next couple of years for archery thank you for sharing that that's really insightful information all right, so let's talk about expandables mechanicals for a second. Um, we're going to bring you on as kind of a subject matter expert when it comes to you've killed a lot of elk with expandables, um, and there's a lot of different types of mechanicals expandables on the market. It's and there's always new players. Some of the stuffs basically just reinvented, but ultimately just boils down to the same, you know, engineering, if you will. I'm going to have you take a minute and kind of go through the different types of expandables on the market like your major categories so people can kind of just be better educated let's start there first right so yeah i mean and jump back to a little bit of my history i've been i've been the in-house national sales manager here at Grim Reaper for 14 years now um prior to that i, I shot for Grim Reaper as a staff shooter um and you know and, and it's been an education process but over that over that last 15 years I've seen a lot of change, a lot of things come and go, a lot of a lot of products resurface um, multiple times. You know, comes and goes, comes and goes, um, resurface under different name or under different brand, but ultimately the same things. Um, and so, um, and, and I I would con- you know I have this conversation daily, um, have for the last 15 years about broadheads, mechanical fixed, um, what set broad sets broadheads apart. So. Um, I, I feel like I'm pretty well educated and had had a lot of conversation, thousands and thousands of conversations about broadheads. Um, so ultimately, you know, you got you got a fixed blade, which which has non-moving blades. It's it's uh, and there's kind of two categories there. You have solid fixed blades that, that uh, are are one piece. They don't have a removable blade. You have removable replaceable blade fixed blades that that the blade's locked in um, and you can take the blade out, remove it. That's what our Micro Hades is, a phenomenal fixed blade and, and replaceable blade system. Um, but then in the mechanical category, uh, you have what what some people refer to as a jackknife style mechanical broadhead, um, which is what, honestly, what most, well, what all Grim Reaper mechanicals are based off, meaning you have a forward-facing mechanical blade that that's like a swing arm it it swings open um from top to back and then you have a rear deploy mechanical blade system like your slip cam systems um you know biggest brand out there that that ha- that is based off that system is rage um initially rage broadheads were like you said years ago rage broadheads were rocky mountain um sniper broadhead and and then they resurfaced as a rage or got sold out or whatever. And, but uh, a rear deploy system, meaning the blade slips backwards, um, doesn't, doesn't have a swing arm that, that folds from top to back The blade on impact slides back and out, um, a slip cam type system. Um, so those are the two main categories and mechanical blades. And then you have, you have some, some mechanicals out there that, that work off of, uh, um, you know, there, there there have been a few surface that work off like a plunger type system, where 
the tip plunges back into the, the body of the broadhead and, and springs the blades out, et cetera. Um, so there's, there's lots of different deployment mechanisms that have been used and tried and tested. But the two main categories are, are rear deploy now and, and uh, um, over-the-top deploy mechanicals. Um, so that's kind of how I'd categorize them, at least, least for the most part in the industry these days. Okay, so obviously you're biased a little. You work for Grim Reaper, but what sets you guys apart versus uh, a rear-deployed slip cam, you know, people are going to want to know like, okay, so what's better? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's obviously, yeah, but let's just cut to the chase. I, that's our biggest competition. We, we make over the top mechanical designs. Um, and you know, in my opinion, and, um, the, the thing that really sets us apart Grim Reaper, when, when just referring to Grim Reaper broadheads and not all, all mechanicals are created equal, right? There's other mechanicals out there that are over the top opening mechanicals that I would not put in the same category as Grim Reaper. But what's always set us apart from the get-go is our broadheads work off an internal spring system, which is unique, it's proprietary, it's patented. Um, we don't use a band or an O-ring or a clip. We use an internal spring mechanism that that provides tension to the bottom end of the blade and on impact that spring compresses like a shock on a truck the blade opens off of leverage and physics um and, and deploys open and 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 does its job whereas a lot of other over-the-top opening mechanicals use a band or a clip or an o-ring or a wedge system um and each blades independently um connected a rigid connection a screw or something to the ferrule of the broadhead so there's no give there's no cam there's no cushion to that blade like the grim reaper where the blades ride independently on that spring um, each blade can cam back on impact and, and open allows them to to open quicker to cam back on on impact and not cause any kind of deflection um, each blade independently cams on that spring so if you hit an animal on an angle and your blades all open at three different times, say you have a three blade broadhead, um, rather than trying to push your arrow side to side as those blades open, those, those blades have that cushion, that cam back against that spring. So you don't get the flexion issues that sometimes are associated with mechanical broadheads. Um, so that's one factor. Our, our deployment system, our blade retention system is unique. It's different and it's proven to be, phenomenal it's proven to be the best there is for 20 years you don't you don't stay at the top of uh, as far as reputation and quality products for for two decades and that's how, how long we've been in business um without something that's just solid and works well um so that's one and two the reason the reason i prefer our deployment system over a slip cam and, and it, maybe in the future grim reaper will have some kind of rear deploy type broadhead um but if you really go look at rear deploy type broadheads, um, all, almost all of them are two blade design. And what our system allows us to do, it allows us to make three and four blade models um, to get that extra blade surface, not get big long blades out there, get our cut diameter out of more blades versus two real longer blades with flatter blade angles, which is a lot of what the, the rear deploy broadheads are. Um, I haven't seen a good design out there 
or three and four blades on a rear deploy broadhead, really, that works consistently and, and great. Um, and so then you get this two blade rear deploy broadhead and people want cut diameter. So what do they do? They, they make the blades longer, they bump the blade angle forward, creating big long blades, big flat blade angle, which ultimately, in my opinion, creates um, penetration issues. It creates a lot of resistance. It creates a lot of, a lot of deflection issues. It creates, um, and ultimately I don't like a two blade slit. I like a three or four blade hole. Um, I think they, they don't plug up as easy, et cetera. So um, those are the couple things that really, in my opinion, set apart our design versus the rear deploy designs. We can do three and four blade options. Um, and we're getting, we're able to maintain good blade angles when our blades are open which we'll discuss later, which is one of the biggest factors in penetration um, is, is blade angle and blade surface. And so when you're trying to get your cut out of two blades, you're ultimately going to bump them forward, make them flat, make them long. And that can cause a lot of issues as far as penetration is concerned and deflection is concerned. Okay. Well, you definitely took uh, my next question away. You kind of gave the pros and the cons of both systems. Do you think there's any cons to your system as far as Grim Reapers, you know, proprietary patented design opening up in the front? Do you think there's any cons to that, that say your counterpart would bring up? Um, the only, the only thing that my counterparts are going to bring up period is that the rear deploy is going to offer a larger entrance hole. And, um, so what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that that's really the that's really honestly the the pitch to a rear deploy, and that's the only argument any of them can give me as to why there's better is because it, it the the blades on impact deploy backwards, and so they're fully deployed on it on the entrance hide and give an overall bigger cut on the entrance hide side. Um, so, so if you want to call that a con, you can. Um, our, our broadheads begin the, the the deployment process on impact, meaning as soon as they contact the hide. Uh, but with our spring system, um, those blades cam back as they deploy. And so we, we can claim, and we do absolutely have the fastest opening over the top mechanical design system in the world with our internal spring system and that camming effect and that how they deploy. But yeah, ultimately, um, you might see a bigger, bigger overall cut on the entrance hide with some of these uh, rear deploy broadheads. Um, but again, I'd rather punch a hole and not a slit, and that's what you're getting with most of those designs. And 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 you know the end goal is penetration for me. What the broadhead's doing as it goes through the vitals and getting that exit hole. Those are way more important factors in my broadhead selection than exactly how, how big my entrance hole is going to be. Mm, well said. Well, we're going to go over pros and cons of expandables, mechanicals, and obviously you and I are on the same team. Like we are program Reaper. You work for them. I shoot for them. They're made in America. And that's the bottom line for me. The, the thing that I would say is um, maybe I can give an example, Matt, and then we can just kind of work our way through this example. And then I just want to give you an opportunity to give like pros and cons of each um, let's say, let's just grab your bow, a Hoyt probably. What Hoyt do you shoot? Uh, right now I'm shooting the RX-4. Okay. Let's just say RX-4 super tuned, super dope, shooting bullet holes with 
a bear shaft or your arrow setup and your arrow setup obviously is probably really specific for um i would assume you use the arrow across all species let me just ask you that yeah yeah so that's one thing i'm personally for me i i I set my my bow up, my arrow up, my setup up to be really a, an all-around hunting setup, whether I'm hunting elk, whether I'm hunting antelope and shooting further. But yeah, I, I use the same setup, the same arrow, and ultimately, most all the time, the same broadhead for everything. Perfect. Same here. So let's grab your arrow, and I'm assuming, you know, it's all spined correctly. You have all the accessories you want. You've geeked out. You know your you know your stuff. Um, let's let's go let's go out to like forty yards, and that's let's let's just say everything's tuned to this broadhead. Let's throw on a Hades three blade, and let's shoot forty yards bullseye. Give you a fill point, forty yards bullseye. Give you your expandable uh, bullseye. And then I'm going to go over and I'm going to sabotage your rest. I'm going to move your rest over to the right an eighth of an inch. Okay. And you're going to shoot that broadhead. I'm willing to bet that broadhead's going to hit pretty far away from the bullseye. And then I'm going to say that maybe, maybe your fill point and expandable are going to hit probably pretty close to where they did the first time when I hadn't touched your rest. And so my point to that is like, obviously like, to, to, to really use a fixed broadhead, you can't half-ass it. Like, it will expose weakness in your arrow, your tune, your time, something. And I think that's what scares a lot of people off because they're either they don't know or they're lazy or they don't have the resources to get their bow set up to shoot fixed. And so you, you're right. Like, there is a lot more forgiveness in an expandable. So I'm giving you your first pro of why expandables are a pro, but I wanted to expand upon that and like why you use why you use them on elk and you know that I don't like, let's go through all the pros of an expandable. Right. So let me jump back just a little bit. Um, you know, looking back. So yeah, that's always my first pro with an expandable, um, that it is, it is more forgiving for sure. And honestly, that's, that was my conversion story to a mechanical. I traveled on a hunting trip. I uh, got to camp and something had happened. Shot my bow like I do when I get to camp. And as, and I was shooting, and this was years and years and years ago, I was shooting a muzzy fixed blade, four blade, probably worst case scenario, right? For an hour. <laughs> bow. And, and I, man, I fought it 20 yards. I'm, I'm in, I'm in South Texas. And I know my shooting's not going to be far, but at 20 yards, I'm just like, geez, I can't, I'm just pulling left, my arrow just not flying through. And, and I did everything I could with the resources I had in camp, the knowledge I had at the time of, as a bow technician, which was really limited. I did everything I could, but just, I just couldn't get him to shoot. And, and a, a friend of mine, had gifted me a pack of Grim Reaper broadheads before I went on this trip because I'd helped him kill an elk and he wanted to do something for me. He knew the owner of Grim Reaper. He'd given me a pack of broadheads. And I thought, what the heck? I put one on, I shot it, I hit centered off. My arrow wasn't coming out like I wanted it to. I could see it, but I still was able to, to pull it in and hit my mark. 
and ended up hunting with that mechanical that week, killed a few animals, did a good job. That was the initial thing that started my, my mindset of, huh, maybe I ought to look into this. Um, and ultimately led to me shooting for Durham Reaper and, and coming to work for Durham Reaper and, and 15, well, that's probably almost 20 years ago. Oh, but, man. Uh, here we go, 20 years later. Um, I'm a Grim Reaper. Uh, I've helped design a lot of our products and, and a huge advocate for us as a company. But I also want to clarify one thing. I'm not anti-fixed blade. Absolutely not. I love our fixed blades. I know a lot of diehard guys, legit hunters out there that only shoot fixed blades. I know a lot of legit hunters that only shoot mechanicals. Um, you and I, we're, we're different that way. You shoot fixed, I shoot mechanical. In the end, we both put a lot of pride and effort into what we do, into bow hunting. And in the end, your animals are just as dead as my animals are just as dead. You know, we we both have success. We both have our reasons why we do what we do. So I want to be just up front that, hey, I'm not anti either way. I'm open to discussion. I'll tell you why I, I like mechanical um, and, and the features it offers me. Um, but to your point, number one is is forgiveness and i've been on multiple scenarios where i relied on that that is not an excuse for being lazy and not putting in the time and the effort and the energy to your bow and your setup and your shooting form and all those things and and i know i've, I've heard you make and maybe not specifically to these words but i've heard you say things like don't sell yourself short by shooting a mechanical or don't be lazy right um and, and I can promise you, and I, and, and I know you know this, I'm not lazy when it comes to bow hunting. My bow is dialed. My bow is doped. I'm lucky to have one of the best bow technicians on earth, Kevin Wilkie, that lives down the road from me. Yeah, that's not fair, by the way, dude. Wilkie is like Rain Man when it comes to bow tuning. You know, I actually owned, I owned his, uh, I don't have any more, but he had a Hoyt Target bow. He gave me, he freaking gave me. And I, it arrives, and I, I to this day have <clears throat> never been more accurate than I have with that big old thirty inch, thirty eight inch axle axle target bow he sent me. Man, that guy's a wizard. Right, he is, and I'm, he's a good friend of mine. He literally lives down the street from me. Um, my bow's doped, and, and I don't consider myself a a really great bow technician, but he's as good as they, they come. We work on my bow constantly. He builds me the best set of custom bow strings that I've ever used every year on my new bows. We dope it. I shoot 10 to 100 arrows every morning in the spring and summer. I set out a range out back. I shoot every day religiously. And so what I'm getting at is, is I put in all the time and effort. I can't absolutely shoot a fixed blade broadhead. Um, but... I choose not to uh, because I've had scenarios where where the forgiveness of a mechanical has literally saved me on trips, and, and I find that to be a, a big factor. Um, so that's, that's number one, um, in my opinion. No matter what you do, you take the best shooters on the planet, like Kevin Wilkie, and he will tell you at long range or in a little bit of wind, even with a perfectly tuned bow, he is slightly handicapped to a degree by a fixed blade broadhead, period. He just is. It's never going to be as forgiving and as accurate with, you know, with, 
with somebody that's capable of shooting like he is with a fixed blade broadhead. Yes, can it be dialed in and and shot well at those distances? Absolutely. But but when you throw in some some variables, excitement, wind, mother nature, elements, uh, a, a fixed blade is not going to be quite as forgiving as a mechanical, and a mechanical is never going to be quite as forgiving as a field point. Your scenario earlier of a field point, a mechanical, and a fixed blade, if you detune my bow intentionally and shoot all of them, I'm going to walk left, right? My field point's still going to hit middle. My mechanical's going to hit a little left, and my fixed blade's going to hit more left than that because the bigger the profile you have coming off the front of your arrow with a tuning issue, or off the front of your bow with a tuning issue, is going to exaggerate that tuning issue further. So I'm anal about doping my setup, tuning my setup, shooting my setup, executing my shot. But even then, I feel like there's an advantage to having more forgiveness. And, and that's, that's, that's my number one. Number two, I like a little more cut diameter um, than, than a fixed blade. And that's ultimately why mechanical broadheads were invented, period. Guys wanted to shoot more cut diameter, but have the forgiveness of low profile. And if you take a big fixed blade broadhead and try and push it out of today's modern bows, what happens? You know, you you take an inch and a half cut fixed blade broadhead and, and shoot it out of your, your, you're shooting Matthews now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you shoot it out of your, your perfectly tuned bow at 60 yards, even on a good day at, and, and I don't know what speed you're shooting, but let's just say 290. Nope. <laughs> you know, 280, but, maybe but, but 280, that's Katie. A, no, that's a pretty average speed. I'm just throwing a number yeah, out yeah. there, right? What, what's going to happen, honestly, at, with most guys, it's just, it's going to be a battle, right? A big, I'm talking a big profile fixed blade out of most guys' setups at an yep. average speed at 60 yards. It's going to be a battle. And, um, you know, so that's why mechanicals were invented. Guys wanted more cut. And and to get that and maintain accuracy and forgiveness, uh, mechanicals were invented. Now, granted, some of the initial mechanicals had a lot of issues, um, durability, deflection, um, you know, non-deployment, all those things. And, and you know, today is, is a totally different scenario than then. But I like more cut. I like a little bit bigger cut than what most fixed blades give me. I like the forgiveness I get. I like the ability to feel confident at all times, um, whether I'm shooting 10 yards or 80 yards, um, whether I'm traveling around the country. I just feel good and confident with pulling that inch and three eighths pro out of my quiver and ex- and if I do my part and, and make a good shot, um, you know, I'm going to get my animal to me. The number one most important factor in killing an animal with the bow is shot placement period. Mm-hmm, 100%. And I feel like a, a good quality and I'm not, I'm not going to say it broadly or generally the right mechanical broadhead gives me, the highest probability in all scenarios across the board of making that perfect shot. Um, and that's ultimately 
my driving factor in shooting mechanical. Now, when I say I'm a diehard mechanical guy, I am, but 80% of the mechanicals on the market, I wouldn't shoot at an animal. So I'm not just a, you can't generalize mechanical versus fixed. There's so many other factors that are involved. There's even fixed blades out there that you wouldn't shoot because they don't meet the criteria for you and for your setup and what you expect out of that product. So I think that's one mistake a lot of guys make. They just generalize mechanicals, fixed blades, and there's so much more to it than that. We got to talk about cut down or we got to talk about blade angle. We got to talk about all these different factors that play into the, the end result of what that broadhead gives you. And when I, when you, when you say I'll shoot a mechanical for elk and I shoot all my elk with mechanical, I do, but my list of mechanicals I will shoot an elk with is really, really short. Mm-hmm. I can count it on about two or three fingers. Yeah. So it's, it's not a, I don't broadly say I'll shoot elk with a mechanical. I will shoot elk with a couple of very, very specific mechanicals that meet what I feel is the criteria of a broadhead to give me durability, to give me penetration, to give me all the things I want when I'm shooting a seven or 800 pound bull elk. Well said, Matthew. And that's why I brought you on because obviously you're my friend first and foremost, and I trust you. I know that I know you have a resume that is undeniable. And so I felt like I had to have this conversation with somebody who flat out had the resume that you do. Um, Unfortunately, you do work for Grim Reaper, so we're not going to use this platform to dissect other brands out there because trust me, I have like five or six I wanted to ask you because I don't know anything about and I know you do, but I'm not going to put you in that position. I'll give you a few pros, cons of, uh, of fixed, and I think we'll agree to disagree, although you really haven't said one thing on here that I disagree with, quite honestly. Um It's just, I think it's all about give and take and it's about finding what works for you. And I know you agree with that. So on forgiveness for accuracy, that it's undeniable what you've said, but here's what I, my counter argument, I wouldn't even call it an argument. I would just say like, in addition to that, when I do elk shape camps, I interview everybody prior to camp and I ask them their effective archery range in hunting. And they all put down whatever they put, and hopefully they're not listening to this because every camp, the first thing we do after we introduce everybody is we say, grab your bow and grab one fill point, and we're going out to the range. And these guys don't know each other, but we put them in a scenario where it's a very high pressure, Dan's watching, Joel Turner's watching, Dirk Durham's watching, Jason Phelps is watching, the shop owner's watching, and all these slappies at the camp are watching, um... And you got to shoot, and actually we, we move them up five yards closer. So a lot of guys will put 60. That's probably the most common numbers. My effective range is up to 60. So we put them at 55 and we're like, hey, kill that piece of foam down there while we watch you. <clears throat> Nine times out of 10, everyone misses. So with the kind of forgiveness that's, I think, the most applicable is you have got to have forgiveness for a shittier shot. Now, obviously, don't take shots that you don't feel 100% confident, but I don't think enough guys practice those high stakes. You've worked seven days straight. You got your one-shot opportunity, and target panic to some degree will set in no matter who you are. Like You are anxious to get that shot off because you have a small window of time to do that before the animal sees you or whatever. And a lot of guys don't make the best shot ever, so... 
it could go either way. Do you pick forgiveness in flight? Mechanical, expandable. Do you pick forgiveness? You hit a few inches back or you hit some, some structure on the animal that needs some bone crushing, you know? So it's really about your setup and figuring out and be, I think in being honest with yourself, um, most importantly, a lot of reasons why I, I settled on expandables was because are not expandables was because of the type of country I was hunting for so many years. I was hunting elk in basically high density brush country where something will want to grab, like you could nick a leaf, a twig, a piece of fern, some alder, some huckleberry uh, at any time, any shot, even at 20 yards. And I didn't want anything to grab that air. I wanted something a little bit heavier as far as arrow weights go. I usually was in the 500 total weight setup, but I like to have a, like more of a fixed broadhead on the end just because I feel like I might have to to shoot through a little bit of brush, which you know is is not ideal, but it is what it is. So that's kind of why I always settled in on um, fixed was that I think like you do have a little more forgiveness on screwing things up. And again, that could be argued that, you know, either way. And then I always felt like I got two holes in an animal with a fixed broadhead, which I really appreciate blood hemorrhage. You're killing an animal by making it hemorrhage. And I liked that blood exited both sides, two holes where blood's leaving. So more blood can fill into where the damage was created and they can die of a hemorrhage uh, and die fast. Um, But there's no denying that if you were to compare some of your blood trails to mine and we make the same exact shot you use yours i use mine you're going to have better blood trails you're going to have more cutting diameter um but ultimately i had two bad experiences neither one with your product i shot a bull in 2014 in um colorado with an ulmer edge and it didn't open up do you remember that one i don't think they make it anymore yeah, it's actually under a different name on the market again. Yeah, so it's out there, but I, I did not, I do think that bull maybe died. I'm not sure. I didn't find him. I didn't get a pass through. I shot him at under 30, broadside on video, never recovered that bull. And then the other scary story was a rear deployed. It was a rage. And I was in a tree stand in Washington State in 2014, and I had about 150 inch five by five or 10 point, as they call them out west show up midday at 11 a.m. I was super cold. I was in a heater bodysuit. He came down this trail that I never thought he would. He pops out at 10 yards from my stand, and I am literally sitting. I'm zipped up in a heater bodysuit, completely screwed. Long story short is the deer like was super smart and actually took three or four steps backwards and came around the other side of my stand at about six yards. I don't know how I did it, but I somehow unzipped grab my bow, turn around, pulled back. And there he is at six yards, like straight below me. And I'm have a rage and the freaking half the blades out. Like it didn't hold the blade in and I'm at full draw at this really nice buck. And I, I'm really honest on here. I wish I hadn't shot, but I didn't think, I didn't think it would matter. So I shot the buck at six yards and my arrow went nowhere close to where I was aiming at six yards with a half deployed rage. Those two instances alone scared me away from using, you know, mechanicals. Now, obviously working with Grim Reaper, I have the opportunity. I could shoot your guys's 
no problem. I have the resources. I could do it. Um, but you know, it comes back to kind of what we've been talking about. You got to do you, you got to do what gives you the most confidence. I think both arguments are valid. Right. Yeah. Let me, and I, I agree. I can't argue with, with those things. I have these conversations daily, right. With customers that coming from a different brand, cause they have this experience or, you know, I hear these stories nonstop. So, um, a, a couple things. Number one, I know we've talked about this. To me, it all comes down to whether you're shooting a fixed or a mechanical. There's a reason that, you know, I've taken a lot of animals with a mechanical broadhead and I've never had a, a failure, right? Like you've described, but I am absolutely super anal about my my process of selection i'm super anal about um you know fine-tuning my my broadheads on my arrows and checking functionality and i know the ins and outs of grim rapers so when i go in the woods and pull out an arrow and a broadhead it's it's on me right it's on me executing a shot because i know the equipment's ready to go and I, and i think that's where a lot of guys um miss out or maybe have bad experiences with with broadheads or mechanicals is because there's their their process of selection their their effort and time put into preparation getting ready um doing their research doing their homework prepping their equipment is not up to par it's just not unfortunately i deal with it all the time i've, I've helped lots of guys um this last year alone i had multiple people just in my neighborhood or in my church or friends of friends hey can we come over and have you look at you know shoot with you and have you help us out and dude i had guy after guy step come to my house at my backyard range and i'm like they're getting ready to go hunting <laughs> the next weekend and i'm just like this is crazy that you're going to go into the field with this setup um you know whether and and a couple of them it was just man i can't afford to go get anything different and, and now there was one scenario that that this guy had bought some, you know, his bow, his arrows were too long and slightly underspined and all these different things he was fighting. And one of his arrows fell out of his quiver and he's got like this crazy, huge, it looked like a two inch cut fixed blade broadhead. Oh, God. You know, it's just, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, this is. I've helped y'all I can. We fixed a few things on your setup. You're shooting pretty good, but this broadhead is just not going to fly. Like you, you got to get a stiffer arrow. You got, I can't afford that. I walked in my house and I just because I would rather have him have a higher probability of, of hitting his mark. I walked in my house and I got him a handful of, of low profile mechanical heads because i knew at least they would fly accurately for him yeah and i knew him stepping into the field that he was going to have no prayer with with having you know those those big huge fixed blades with his current setup fly good it just wasn't going to happen so you know it, it all falls back to regardless of what you choose to shoot put in your time do the work don't sell yourself short Set your setup right and hunt accordingly to what, what you have on your your bow and your arrow and what your shooting and hunting capabilities are and do everything you can to 
to be prepared when you get that once in a lifetime shot or, or that one shot a year to, to not be able to put it on your equipment and, and, you know, put it on you. And that's, that to me is where a lot of, a lot of mechanicals get their bad rap is, um, guys just grab them and throw them on. And, and if they lose an animal, it's instantly the mechanicals fault. But I can tell you from years and years and years and years and years of dealing with people, Dude, 90% of the time, it's the Indian, not the bow. It, it <laughs> really is. Amen to that. And, and so, you know, I, I, I had a scenario just the other day just to prove my point. This guy's a legit hunter. I had a conversation with him. I He called me and he's like, I'm on the fence of, and I don't know him, but he's sounded legit, right? He's like, I'm on the fence of trying a mechanical. Somebody recommended I talk to you. So I gave him you know, my spill and said, look, this is, this is what works for me. And, and, uh, I kind of sold him on giving him mechanicals a go. Yeah. So he calls me back up and he shot an animal out of a tree stand with this mechanic, with one of the mechanicals that I absolutely would put my life on. And he didn't get his animal and talking to him for a while, like it came out that he totally, and, and, and admitted, you know, after conversation that where he shot this animal from the angle he was and out of the stand, et cetera. And, and for that animal's anatomy was wrong. Right. I, I pulled it up on a computer and said, look at this, you know, you, but he, he instantly was anti-mechanical because he, that first animal he shot with it, and his buddy showed up that was a mechanical hater. And pretty soon you, you have this, hey, these two guys just bashing mechanical broadheads. The best mechanical broadhead I've ever shot in my life because he didn't get his animal. Well, I can 100% tell you he didn't get his in that exact same scenario. Exact same scenario. If he would have been shooting a micro Hades, he would have still lost his animal, but he would not. I've been bashing the micro Hades. So ultimately it comes down to you. Whatever you want to use is fine. It's great. Do the work, make a good shot. My experience is perfectly shot animals die, period. If I double lung or shoot an animal through the heart, I always get them. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how that works. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. And I got two questions for you and we'll kind of call it a podcast. So I did remember I have killed a bull with a mechanical and it was a grim reaper and it was in 2007 in New Mexico and I shot him at 20 yards. He died very fast. I snuck up on him in his bed. Um, my question for you is, is which one did I use? Cause that was so long ago. I can't, I could not even tell. I definitely wasn't like a razor tip one because like, I don't think you guys had made those yet. Razor tip was our original. Was that it? Okay, so that's what I'm. I don't know. Which which one do you think it was? Anything to do? If I had anything to do with it, and I know you and I have talked for years and years and years and years at ATA and long before we we worked together on any level. If I had anything to do with it, it was a razor tip, original broadhead, inch and three eighths three blade razor tip was actually designed for elk hunting. Period. Yeah. Yeah. The owner of the company designed the original, and what other mechanical broadhead company out there can say that? They're all catered to whitetail hunting at 20 yards, out of a tree stand, period. 
but the original Grim Reaper razor tip was absolutely designed for elk hunting. And, and so that's why we have some of the designs we have. They're, they're catered to and designed for that saddle hunting. Yeah. So my last one I wanted to talk about real quick while I have you on here. It, and to me, this one makes a lot of sense, but I haven't tried it yet. And I'm just being upfront is your guys have like a hybrid broadhead. So it's like, I'm trying to remember, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's just like the Grim Reaper Micro Hades, except for it's a two blade. So I think inch and three sixteenths type cutting diameter, but you basically have two mechanical blades. So in essence, it's a four blade, but the mechanicals are like an inch and a half. And it kind of does a little bit of both. What What's your experience with that? Because I remember you guys had that offering. Right. Yeah, so the, the Micro Hybrid, interesting broadhead, um, like you said, it, it's based off our... Um, our micro Hades fixed blade. It's got two fixed blades at inch and 16th. And then we actually have two mechanical cut options in, in hundred grain. We have an inch and a quarter and an inch and three eighths mechanical. So you've got two fixed, two mechanicals. Well, like I mentioned before, we would rather get our total blade surface out of more blades rather than less blades and bigger, longer blades and flatter blade angles. Yes. So the hybrid is a great option to still maintain fairly low profile give guys like yourself that are just there's some mental roadblock there right whether regardless of how much conversation you and i have you're a fixed plate guy and that's wonderful i don't we make awesome fixed plates for that purpose and but you have a two blade fixed plate head it gives you that confidence that hey I've got a legal two-blade fixed-blade broadhead, and then I've kind of got these bonus mechanical cuts if they deploy, right? They are going to deploy, but that's the mentality of some guys. Um, so we can build in a lot of blade surface, a good quality amount of blade surface into a broadhead, but still maintain a low profile, still give you a fixed-blade cut, which helps get that better entrance hole, helps give guys like yourself the confidence that, hey, regardless of what happens here, I've got this fixed blade broadhead that's that's going to do its job. So I've had a lot of elk shot with it, actually. A few guys that are diehard elk hunters that, that are shooting that micro hybrid broadhead with great success. Um, sent some to some industry guys this year. I'm not going to drop their names because I don't know that they necessarily some high profile industry guys that, that shot bulls with them and just sent me raving reviews. That's um, awesome. It's been, a, it's been a great fixed blade. And I want to really quick touch on one thing in relation to that. Broadheads, when, you, when you're picking a broadhead, you know, you really need to look hard at blade surface amount and blade angle and blade length. Um, you know, like I mentioned in the very beginning, a big two-blade cut, two-inch cut, two-blade is going to have really long blades bumped out at a really flat blade angle. You hit you hit a rib or a bone out there on the end of that blade and there's a lot of leverage. There's a lot of fight. There's a lot of tug of war going on there for deflection, for durability issues, all these things. So I'm a huge advocate of, of keeping your blade surface close and compact and tight to the center of your arrow um, and maintaining more blades or lower profile blades with good blade angles. That's going to really help you with penetration, going to really help with durability, the less torque and stress on those blade those long flat blades um and, and sweat back blading is a giant factor in penetration where you're slicing versus chopping so when when if you are going to select a mechanical broadhead of any sort or a hybrid broadhead of any sort to shoot elk make sure you get something that fits those parameters um 
and you know you're going to just be much better off as far as penetration durability goes i think that's really cool to go over like best practices i mean we could do another hour or two on just all the different types of broadheads out there and stuff but ultimately i think we got people thinking and that's what i wanted i wanted people thinking and tinkering i want you to go into those woods with the confidence that you've super doped your weapon you're very familiar with your mechanics i mean it's it literally boils down to everything we talked about in this podcast separations and the preparation you should you don't slap on broadheads whichever kind august 15th day before the opener or whatever two weeks before i mean i really want to see people addressing their tuning issues throughout the year uh, and go from there we got that elk shape camp matt in your neck of the woods can be in Ogden. How far do you live from Ogden? Uh, about an, just over an hour. Ah, oh, yeah. I mean, Grim Rapers in Provo. So we're, you know, I can beat Ogden in, in about an hour. Well, I'm going to have you jam out early on maybe Friday the day when we do that camp. Tell your boss, say, gotta, hey, I got to work with one of our guys. Maybe come out and you can watch what I'm talking about on Friday night when we get everyone introduced and we watch them shoot with in that high pressure situation. But Friday is all about the setup, just what you were talking about in your backyard. Like we really want to identify who needs to make some tweaks to their setup before they even worry about anything else in the camp, because you can be the best out caller. You can have all the fitness and all the up knowledge, but if your setup sucks, you're in trouble. Right. And, and you're ex- I mean, I love a, uh, quote i've heard and i'll I'll slaughter it i don't even know exactly where it came from but but essentially it says you know and it was from a an officer in the navy or the army or something but essentially it's you know guys don't just rise automatically or instinctively rise to the occasion in the heat of battle they fall to their level of training Mm -hmm. and 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 it's true with hunting even me i've shot countless animals with a bow and arrow but there's still scenarios where i get jacked up there's still scenarios where i i do stupid stuff or i i don't execute like i need to but if you put in enough time effort and energy to your to your setup to your equipment and to your personal training as far as your your shot execution and your process instinct will for me anyways instinct will take over to a degree and you'll still be able to perform under those circumstances and get the job done. Even if you kind of black out and lose your mind, you've put in the time and the effort and energy to have everything in a position that you, you, you still execute and instinct takes over and you get the job done. So, um, that that's key, man. Just put in the time, effort and energy, whether you're a fixed blade, mechanical hybrid guy, I don't care. Um, you put any of them in the boiler room, um, and you've put in your time and energy and effort to, to selecting a good quality option on the front of your arrow and having everything set up right, you put any of them through both lungs or through the heart, you're going to get your critter, period. I, I believe that. So, Okay, guys. That was a fun podcast. Uh, as you're listening to this, we're in the middle of Oak Shape camp season. I'm probably living out of a suitcase. Uh, we've already had the Texas camp. We're probably at Nashville right now or Ohio doing elk shape camp making people better at elk hunting appreciate you guys you have a lot of choices on podcasts we want to keep this one super educational very blue collar very down to earth very inspirational and i appreciate your support tell a buddy or a friend about it 
We'll catch you on the next one. And remember, separation is in the preparation.